0: Thank you, each and every one of you that have come back tonight. I appreciate your faithfulness uh, to the Lord's house and your desire to be out and to be with God's people. I'm continuing our series on what does righteousness look like, and uh, tonight I'm beginning to emphasize some of the social justice issues that are associated with Righteousness, and in particular tonight I start looking at the importance of a Christian work ethic. Introduction. Mankind was created to reflect God's glorious rule over all creation. This was to be accomplished by mankind's work. Genesis 126. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds, over the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth and over ever creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The theme tonight is work is not simply an economic issue, it is also a spiritual and moral issue. Uh, I think that's very important to keep in mind uh, as we think about our culture, we think about politics, and so often moral issues are limited, again, as I've been trying to emphasize, purely uh, sexual issues, or if we think about moral issues, uh, in the political realm, it might be abortion, it might be capital punishment, uh, it probably most of the moral issues are usually associated somehow with uh, life and death issues, and we tend to think of these other issues as economic issues, but tonight I want us to see that even work issues and social uh, programs are moral issues as well. So tonight, number one, work predated the fall of man and was not a result of the fall. Mankind was placed in the garden before the fall, of course. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. And mankind was placed in the garden to work or develop the garden before the fall, to work it. NAS says to cultivate it. And the NIV says to work it. Thus, work was not intended to be a punishment, but a blessing. Work is not a punishment. It is not a result of the fall. It is not what was a part of the curse. Originally, work was a blessing. It may surprise you, as you think about that, that work will be an important part of the new heaven and new earth. I don't know what you think about when you think of uh, eternity, but let me tell you what I hear is popular conceptions of eternity. For some, it's a never-ending worship service. Gathering together and praise and honor and glory and singing. There will be that, but that is not the primary emphasis of the new heaven and new earth. It won't just be a matter of relaxation. It won't be a baseball game that lasts for eternity. Okay? We are going to be working in the new heaven and new earth. And if that sounds like a dreadful thing to you, then we got to rethink work. And that's part of what I want to do tonight, Re- think, our attitude towards work and towards pleasure. Number two, mankind had two responsibilities when it came to work, both of which were significant and pleasurable. First, mankind had the responsibility, joy, opportunity to be creative and develop the garden. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. NAS says to cultivate it. NIV, to work it. I think a very good translation would be to develop it. The idea is to make the most of it. In, reflection, in reflecting the glory of God, in reflecting the dominion of God... Just as God is a creator God and created the heavens and the earth, mankind was to be creative in developing the garden. If you read on in Genesis, there's gold to be mined. There's uh, all kinds of precious jewels and all kinds of resources that mankind was to use to build up the garden and to make it this beautiful, pleasurable place in which to dwell. So that creativity was an essential part of the original creation. And that's what work ought to be. Work ought to be a creative experience for us. Ways in which we can display abilities and talents and skills all to the glory of God. And two... Even as the creative process was a delight to God. Genesis 1.31. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Each day, God looks upon it and he says, it's good. It's good. You know, it's it's wonderful when you can take pride in your work. When you can make something that is really beautiful or innate. and, And you just stand back and you admire it. And be able to say, wow, that, that's, that's good. That, that really looks nice. That is pleasurable. That is a joy. That's a delight to be able to create something of worthwhile, of benefit. Secondly, mankind had the moral responsibility of preserving, watching out for, and caring for creation. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So there's the second aspect. To keep the garden. And that's how each of the major translations translated to keep it. Number one, this moral responsibility is seen in Cain being his brother's keeper. Genesis 4 and 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? the same word, keep the garden. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I his guardian? Am I his protector? Am I supposed to watch out for Cain? Am I supposed to be concerned about his well-being? Am I supposed to be interested in what's going on in Cain's life? Why are you asking me about Cain, God? Yes. 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 Abel was to be Cain's keeper. He was to watch out for him. He was to protect him. He was to watch over him. He was to do him good, not harm. Okay. Abel killing, excuse me, Cain's killing Abel is the exact opposite of being a keeper, a protector. He failed miserably. He failed miserably. So mankind was to oversee the garden and all that was in it. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth. See, much more than just the garden itself. So number three, this is the basis for social justice issues associated with righteousness. This is sometimes referred to as the creation mandate. That is, to work and to keep. So this would include environmental issues. We are to protect our environment. Yes, that is a moral issue. For many, that is purely a political issue or a social issue, and Christians somehow even get bent out of shape when people start talking about pollution and other things. That's a part of our moral responsibility. We're supposed to take care of the planet. Adam was to take care of Of the garden. That actually is part of what righteousness looks like caring for this earth. See, this would include issues of caring for our fellow man. We are to be our brother's keeper. We are to be concerned about the spiritual, emotional, and physical well being. Of our fellow mankind. So when Cain says. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. So we are. Our brother's keeper. So we have. Moral responsibilities. For the spiritual. I think just about everybody gets that. Okay. But. Physical. Emotional. Well being. Of Others. That's a part of what righteousness looks like. D, work was to be about much more than merely obtaining a paycheck. Now, that's uh, anachronistic. Obviously, there weren't paychecks back there, but the idea is it's much more than just about ourselves and maintaining a living. Work was to be first and foremost To reflect God's image. It was to bring glory to God. In the way in which mankind. Oversaw all these things. And work. Consisted of being creative. And his work consisted of providing a holy and just rule dominion. Over all of creation. Watching out for the animals. Not just eating the animals. Not just. Profiting from the animals. But actually caring for the animals. And that goes on into Leviticus and laws concerning care for animals. Yes, God is really concerned about those things. Why? Because we are to reflect God's rule. God is concerned about all of his creation. Therefore, to reflect God's glory, we are to be concerned about all of God's creation and keep it and protect it. Number three, the fall brought a corruption to mankind's work. Work would now become a hardship. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Work would now be frustrating. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Okay, Now you're going to have to weed this garden. Now you're going to find it difficult in this garden. You're going to be frustrated. Work now is frustrating as a result of the fall. Work would be hard and difficult. Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat Bread. Now it's going to be arduous. So as we think about work, we think about frustrations. We think about it being arduous. We think about it being drudgery. Far different from the conception of what work was originally meant to be. So when I say that we're going to be working in new heaven and earth, don't think about it being arduous. Don't think about it being frustrating. Don't think about it being boring. But think about it in terms of what God always intended work to be. Fulfilling, creative, useful, purposeful. And D, work would lose its intended purpose. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. The aspect there is that the, the great meaning to work was going to be lost. Instead of it having eternal value and purpose, it was going to be limited to so much of things that are inconsequential and unimportant. So much of work today has no lasting value or benefit. It was never intended to be that way. But work was to have lasting value, have lasting benefit. And one of those things, as I will unpack that, is the glory of God. So four, work is to be done not only for personal fulfillment, but also to bring glory to God. Work is to be entered into to please God. Ephesians 6, 5, 6, and 7, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And notice he's talking about physical labor. Verse 5, bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, not by way of eye service. So we are to enter into a work. We are to give our employer a good day's labor. Not just to satisfy our boss. Not simply because it's the right thing to do, but we're to give a full good day's labor in order to please God. To honor him. As we render our service to God. Work is to be entered into for the pleasure of God. And work is also to be entered into in order to meet the needs of others. Ephesians 4.28 Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, and now notice the reason, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Instead of stealing and taking from others so that your needs are met, It says, you are to work, you are to labor, not just so that your needs are met, but in contrast to stealing, you are to work so that you have something to give for someone else who is in need. That's one of the dignities of work. Okay, And uh, we speak of an honest day's work. What is an honest? Honest day's work. Well, not all work is equal. Okay? Uh, work should have some kind of benefit for our fellow mankind. We should be producing, we, we should be supplying a service, we should be doing something that helps other people. Okay? We should view our work as a way of ministering to someone else. Okay? That's why the reformers tried to make the distinction between secular and spiritual go away. Okay? The, the reformers, Martin Luther was big on the idea that we shouldn't just think of the clergy as doing the Lord's work, but all mankind. As you go to the workplace tomorrow, you are serving God every bit as much as I am serving God because your work is to be a benefit to others. You're supplying a service, you're supplying a product, You are doing something that is benefiting somebody else. And you should enter into it with that kind of heart and mind. That you are serving others and in so doing you are ultimately serving God. Five. Sodom's sinfulness was directly related to their poor work ethic. The people of Sodom were very wealthy, and thus did not have to work hard. Our verse, and just in case you're lost in this whole study, and I can certainly see why you would be, uh, I'm really trying to develop Ezekiel 16, 49, during these, these evenings. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance. I already looked at Pride. Abundance of food and careless ease. Careless ease. The King James translates this, an abundance of idleness. ESV says, prosperous ease. The big picture is it's talking about people who have an abundance of free time because of their prosperity. Prosperity. Because they have an abundance of food, because they have an abundance of wealth, they don't have to work hard. And they have an abundance of free time. The problem with Sodom and Gomorrah is the way they use their free time. even though they had abundance of food and abundance of of idleness, uh, B, in their prosperity and ease, they failed to be their brother's keeper in being concerned about the plight of the poor and needy. Ezekiel 16, 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They had plenty of resources, but they weren't concerned. They were simply selfish in the use of their resources, and they did not care about the poor and the needy. But what is going to happen, you see, is that's the first step. They didn't care for the poor and needy, and eventually they are going to oppress the poor and the needy. Their lack of concern for their physical well-being is going to end up with that crowd gathered around Lot's house seeking those men that are inside. It didn't start there. It started with their lack of concern. It started with their idleness. It started with their self-absorption and seeking their own pleasure rather than seeking the glory of God and rather than seeking to help and provide for their fellow mankind. Six, there is a correlation between the lack of a proper work ethic with a greater moral decline. In uh, the expositor's Bible commentary, Alexander Ralph uh, says this, and I quote, Sodom's chief sin had been pride and self exaltation. This stemmed from her abundant materialism, food given to her from God, Genesis 13, 10, which had resulted in false security, apathy, and now these words, I put them in bold type, a luxurious life of ease and the corollary disdain and neglect of the poor and needy. You put those two things together. They had a great life of luxury with no concern about the poor and needy. The problem was not the luxury, the problem was the lack of concern for the poor and needy. That they didn't use their resources, they didn't use their time, they didn't use their energies for other people, they used it all for themselves. Matthew Henry, I put this in here, lest you think that this is just simply uh, a new thought or something that is just a product of the day and age in which we live. I thought I'd put this quote in from Matthew Henry since he originally wrote in 1708. So not exactly contemporary and not really uh, involved in the issues of America. Okay, But notice what he writes. Let's jump down to number three. You can see it there in the middle because I'm running out of time. Uh, In bold type. Idleness, abundance of idleness a dread of labor, and a love of ease. Their country was fruitful, and the abundance they had they came easily by, which was a temptation to them to indulge themselves in sloth, which disposed them to all that abominable filthiness which kindled their flames. Note, idleness is an inlet to much sin. The men of Sodom who were idle were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly there is a correlation that goes with laziness and sloth and idleness that results, yes, in even sexual perversion. Idleness leads to great sin, as illustrated in the life of David. In recounting what happens with Bathsheba, we read this in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, that it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. That's the introduction. We're not to miss that. Okay? That's important to the story. If David would have been doing what David should have been doing, nothing would have ever happened. With Bathsheba. Did he intend this sin with Bathsheba? No. He didn't. But the problem started. When kings are supposed to be with their army. And David sends his army out. And he stays at home. There's where the problem started. Seven. Work and social justice issues. People should work for their food. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, 11, and 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage the Lord Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That's the general teaching of Scripture. People are to work and people are to meet their own needs. B. In the Old Testament, provision was to be made for people to work for their food Leviticus 23:22 and when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap your field right to its edge nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner I am the Lord your God and we've been in the book of Ruth and looking at that in pretty much detail but the idea here is it wasn't the responsibility of the wealthy and the landowners to reap the grain Put it on a cart and take it and knock on the door of the houses of the poor and needy and say, here, here is this food for you. It was the responsibility of the rich, the wealthy, the landowners, to look out for the well-being of the poor and the needy and make it possible for them to be able to provide food, clothing, etc., Okay? I think when we talk about these social justice issues, when we th- talk about the political issues, you see, there, even the Bible speaks to that stuff. It's not good to give people handouts that they have no responsibility for in return. That creates sloth. That creates idleness. That creates all kinds of negative kinds of Behaviors and lifestyles. People should work for what they get. Now, there are people, of course, that have difficulty finding jobs, etc. Well, it's our moral responsibility to provide jobs for people. It's our moral responsibility to make sure that people can have a living wage, but they are to work for it. There's a hand and glove that goes together. Now, having said that, See, grace was to be shown to those who could not work. There's no question about that, even as Jesus had pity on the blind beggars. We were just there two two Sunday mornings ago, and Jesus didn't say to these blind beggars, have mercy upon me, and say, why aren't you working? They couldn't work. And Jesus had mercy upon them. So it gets to be a complex issue. Not everybody can work, and there's a responsibility for people that can't work. But people that can We should be making it possible for them to work. But moving on. Eight, there is a difference between mere busyness and work. 2 Thessalonians 3.11 For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. There's a play on words here. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. There is a world of difference between working hard and being busy. Many times, busyness isn't a part of working hard. Now let me unpack that for you. A, keeping people busy will not necessarily keep them out of trouble. Anecdotally, anecdotally, If nobody ever picked up a Bible, it's understood by our culture, it's understood by our society, and it's understood by almost every society that it's not good for people just to sit around. Because they're going to get in trouble if they're just sitting around. People need something to do. The last time we met, I was looking at the fall and how the fall perverts our reasoning, it perverts our understanding of God's truth. And it usually puts things upside down. It it kind of turns things on its head. Okay? So in our culture, in our society, it's understood that it's not good for people to be idle. But our culture in our society fails to see. That is not simply being idle, it's about work. And not simply about pleasure. In order to keep kids off the streets, there are all kinds of after-school programs to keep them busy, to keep them occupied, and doing something that they find to be pleasurable... But not working. Not doing something meaningful for society and something that is going to benefit others and not just themselves. There is a huge element missing from that. And if we just give kids something that is going to keep them busy, pleasurable, something to do, They then are just going to become more selfish, more self centered, and more bored with needing more entertainment and more things to do. So, we're not talking about busyness, we're talking about work. So, B, our culture has replaced a love for work with a love for pleasure. Titus 3:3, 3, 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Now, again, a play on word: slaves, slaves to passions and pleasures, slaves, workers to passions and pleasures. People, give themselves wholeheartedly incredible amounts of time, of energy, of finances for their pleasures, for their passions, for their interests, for their entertainment, for their fulfillment. They're heading out in this direction rather than taking great delight and joy in their work. The Main emphasis in our culture is to try to stop working as early as you can. That's most people's ambition in life. To retire as soon as you can. To get on with life and just be able to enjoy it. There's choir practice tonight, isn't there? Okay. Let's... Jump to C. Our culture has replaced the love of others with a love of self and a love of pleasure rather than a love of pleasing God, which has resulted in a multitude of evils. 2 Timothy 3.1. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Why? For people will be lovers of self. Okay, That's where it starts. Why is life going to be difficult? Why is it going to be King James perilous times? Why do people shoot other people? Why do people get into these altercations? Why? Because people are selfish. Yes, it goes all the way back to selfishness. It goes all the way back to the nursery. In trying to teach children they have to share. And they shouldn't bop somebody on the head when they take the car away from them right? That's mine. Bop. Okay? It goes all the way back there. Selfishness leads to all kinds of sins and corruption. Verse 4, down to the middle. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So it starts out with being lovers of Self and then moves to loving pleasures more than loving of God. It's a capstone. That people seek pleasure more than they seek God. Now let me just ask you, do you think that characterizes our culture? People seeking pleasure more than they're seeking God. I think so. I think so. Okay? What is the biggest deterrent... To worship today? I think so. More than even work. It's not that people have to work on Sunday. They're too busy to worship God. They are too active to worship God. They're too caught up with other things than to worship God. D, our culture has replaced work with busyness as a moral solution to the ills of society. Now, conclusion. Number one, the desire to be be free from work and to simply enjoy life is a perversion of true satisfaction and fulfillment. Okay? We should be able to find satisfaction in our work. We should be able to enjoy our work. We should be able to find work. Okay. Now, this is hard for me because I love what I do. And I wouldn't love what most of you do. Okay, uh, But that's our different temperaments. And probably some of you wouldn't love what I do and love what, what you are doing. At least that ought to be the way. But, you know, it, it's a shame. It's really a shame if you have to get up in the morning and hate going to work. That, that that really is a shame. Okay? It ought to be fulfilling for us. It, it ought to be pleasurable for us. We ought to look forward to going to work. I'm going on vacation for this week. I'm going to enjoy going on vacation. I'm going to enjoy coming back. Okay? We took a vacation and you provide us with this wonderful opportunity to travel for five weeks and stuff. But I'll tell you, by the end. I had enough. I wanted to be back. I, I wanted to be doing what I'm doing. You know, there is a sense that We ought to go to work with a smile on our face, saying, I'm doing something for God today. I'm doing something for my fellow man. I have this opportunity to serve others. It ought to bring joy to our hearts and lives. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why it isn't, and I'm not downplaying those. I'm just saying what the ideal is and what righteousness looks like. Number two, overall, people are working less hours but are busier than ever. Think about that. We work less hours than other generations. We don't have to do the kinds of things that other people had to do. We don't have to saddle a horse. We don't have to hook a horse up to a buggy to get somewhere. It doesn't take us an hour. It takes us ten minutes to drive. We don't have to spend four hours preparing a meal. There's all kinds of processed foods and everything available for us, etc., 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 There are all kinds of things that we can do, okay? And most people aren't having to work 60, 80 hours. I know there are exceptions, but most people don't have to work much more than 40 hours a week. There is loads of, quote-unquote, free time. The question is, what do we do with the free time? We make ourselves busy, And we make ourselves so busy that we don't have time for others and we don't have time for God. That's a spiritual issue influenced by our culture. So, A, but what are people busy doing? And to what end are they doing it? Our culture has a low view of work. Our culture has a high view of free time and entertainment we need to consider how that contributes to all kinds of unrighteousness. All kinds of selfishness. All kinds of lack of concern for others and just a concern for ourselves. What that does for a work ethic. What that does for the honor and glory of God. How that relates to being our brother's keeper. How that relates to our creativity, and our achieving things for which we can take pleasure. Instead of taking pleasure in work, we hand every kid a trophy so they can feel good about themselves and what they are doing and their attainments, when in fact they may not be attaining anything. Because everybody's getting a trophy. That is all a perversion. That's all about what righteousness looks like. And the church is losing sight of all those things. What does righteousness look like? Three, our culture has replaced the pursuit of pleasure as opposed to worship as a relief from the stresses of work. God intended worship to be our renewal. The Sabbath was to be a day of rest. It was to be a cessation from labor. And you were to be refreshed, renewed, and developed emotionally, physically, and spiritually by your worship of God. And that has been replaced by our culture with the idea of getting away, going on a vacation, traveling, getting involved in a sport, doing something else. But that doesn't tend to have that same kind of refreshment. Okay? Have you ever come back from a vacation more tired than when you left? Have you ever spent a weekend And you look forward to work where you can rest because you've been so busy and so involved in everything the whole weekend long. You see, our culture has put us in a hard and difficult spot. The Sabbath was to be a day of rest. i got to quit. We have uh, time's up. But there are books out there and one of the books, and the reason those books are on that table was uh, Sarah was trying to Uh, picked some books that uh, went with our evening series. And so there's a book out there entitled Crazy Busy. I'd highly recommend it to you. Okay, Uh, It's going to develop some of those ideas far more than what I did tonight. But Crazy Busy uh, is is a good book. If you just feel overwhelmed and you just feel too busy, uh, it's talking about our culture and, and busyness. So this is an introduction. And all I'm saying to you is these actually are spiritual moral issues that we need to wrestle with in our own lives and in our culture and our society. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your grace and goodness. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to work. I I thank you for all those in our congregation that have have jobs. Uh, Thank you for that provision. Uh, Thank you for that enablement. Help us, as we go to work, to think not just of our paycheck But help us to do a good day's labor, not just for our our bosses, not just for ourselves, but ultimately to bring glory to you. And help us, Lord, to think about, as we are doing our job, how we have the opportunity to serve others. And may we serve others well in what we do. May we look for ways to be creative. May we take joy and delight in our work. May we take pride in our work. An old, old word that really has spiritual significance, may we be able to have satisfaction, delight in the way in which we have done our jobs this week. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.